What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Hi, my name is Tyler Fornis, and I am the co-host of The Good, The Bad, and The Hunky here on the Voice Wrestling Podcasting Network. Every week, my co-host Fred Moreland and I discuss all the happenings of All Elite Wrestling and everything going on in the universe of Tony Khan. We talk about Dynamite, we talk about Rampage, and we will talk about Collision when the time comes as well, along with all the appearances outside of AEW from all the best talents in all elite wrestling. This is one of the more cohesive wrestling companies in the entire world, and we discuss every intricacy about it, including the unique booking of Tony Khan that is both a huge positive and a major detriment. Check us out every single Thursday here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Suffering is here. Life is skittles and life is beer. I think the loveliest time of the year is the spring. I do, don't you? Of course you do. But there's one thing that makes spring complete for me and makes every Sunday a treat for me. All the world seems in tune on a spring afternoon when we're poisoning pigeons in the park. Every Sunday you'll see my sweetheart and me as we poison the pigeons in the park. When they see us coming, the birdies all try and hide, but they still go for peanuts when coated with cyanide. The sun's shining bright, everything seems all right when we're poisoning pigeons in the park. Welcome to this week's episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hung Geek. Hosted this week only by me, Fred Moreland, uh, because Tyler Fornis is a coward who went to the Senior Bowl, and he cannot stop me from playing that awful song as our theme song. Uh, our guest host this week, however, I'm very pleased to announce, uh, we are joined by Trevor Dame, uh, notoriously of Twitter, and talking about press conferences. Trevor, thank you for joining us. Yeah, um, I'm glad to be like the huge drop-off for you, because I looked up your last guest, and it was Dave Meltzer, so this is one of the steepest declines in the history of a podcast, so you... I'm glad to be part of that. Uh, there's that self-deprecation we all know and love. Uh, Trevor, you do tweet a lot, so uh, you're right there with Dave, so there's that. Yeah, uh, god damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, I, I am very excited to have you on because uh, you do something, and uh, while I may question why you do it sometimes, you uh, do tweet through all the uh, post-show press conferences that have become the rage in wrestling ever since AEW uh, debuted and started doing them. Uh, and uh, you sure did get a tweet through uh, one last week, didn't you? Yeah, um... It's a weird compulsion, and at times I've I've thought I should stop doing this because a million other people do it, and you know there's sometimes I would like to move on with my day after an 18 hour pay per view, but then there are actually people in and out of wrestling who want me to do it. I don't know why, but yeah, that was uh, 
Yeah, I feel like everyone's talked to it. Everyone for once has now talked about a press conference. They've all joined my world with this <laughs> Triple H one. But yeah, it was it was not good. I mean, it's it's funny to see some people kind of discover what the press conferences are. Like I was reading an article that I wrote about the other day on my Patreon for uh, about J- Jonathan Snowden wrote a Substack about how he was like um you know, these press conferences aren't for these muckrakers. It's for, you know, the people looking for the last piece of their of their articles, you know. And he gave an anecdote of how, you know, years ago he got paid by Bleacher Report to do an article. He's like, if there was a big story at that time, I wouldn't have asked about then do either because I was paid to talk about, you know, to do the story about the history of the Royal Rumble. Oh, and it was like, well, there weren't pressers back then, which he admits in the article to his credit. And also... There are a million other opportunities to get media access over the weekends of these big events usually. And also, it's like, if you've ever watched these pressers, it's not people looking to do the finishing touches on paid articles. It's people who have flown themselves out there, who are losing money on this, just asking Triple H, how does it feel to have a great time? And it, like, th- that's it. Like, it's not the, it's, it's not what some of these people that are just dropping in think they are. And I'm glad people got to, uh, got to see that. Yeah. Uh, I, you can count me among those who appreciate you doing it because well, one, it keeps me from having to watch it and thank you for that. Uh, but two, I do, I think you do very good commentary with it and, uh, I think you add good insights. So, uh, you know, I, I do think it's an important thing. I probably would gnaw off my own arm if I try to do it twice, I think. But I, I think it's great that you do it, honestly. Well, that's sweet of you to say. But it is it is awkward, especially when now I have people who are at the pressers who are reading me covering them during the presser <laughs> and will, like, tweet to me, like, no, I'm going to ask about that. It's like, you're you're in the middle of it right now. Like, you don't have to talk to me. Um, oh, boy. Now, is this like basically an, an uh, extension of your uh, like? Did, did you start doing this because you used to do the TNA, uh, like writing about TNA Mecca and all that stuff? Or yeah, I actually this is a bit of Trevor Dame lore. Um, when I was a teenager, I used to post on a message board, and we had an extra private forum. Or um, someone would, would do recaps of the Pro Wrestling Torch for people that would, didn't want to subscribe to Pro Wrestling Torch. Back when the Pro Wrestling Torch broke news, it was worth getting a separate Torch subscription on top of the Observer because it would there'd be different gaps in each that you'd get. To, generally, the Torch was a little bit juicier. Like you always got the impression that Wade would say things that were a little bit more rumory than Dave oh, okay. would, and it, it was kind of spicy in that sense. Um, and someday, one day, this guy decided, like, I'm not going to recap them anymore. And so I decided, well, I'll do that. For a few months, I just did these recaps where I kind of tried to do a little comedy and try and do the usual stuff. And I don't know, since then, it's been a weird compulsion of me summarizing things and reading and commenting on other people's words as I direct quote them and things like that. So, yeah, I don't know why that hooks into me somehow, but it seems to be a sad recurring theme in my life I think it's great. So I really do appreciate you doing it. Uh, and I want to ask you about the one this past Saturday uh, with Triple H or Paul Lebeck after uh, the Royal Rumble. And, um, you know, again, I can only I can say that I've only read recaps of yours and other people's. And I have to ask, um, it sounds like you did a very poor job. Yeah, I think the big thing people were shocked by 
was uh, how unprepared he seemed. Yeah, that uh, definitely uh, seemed to be the case. Because when you think about it, there, there, there are a couple of ways to go with a presser, right? Like there's a way to go in w- when you're facing a huge scandal like this. There's a way of going where you, you just decide going in, I am going to give a flat no comment anytime I get asked this. I'm going to give you like, you know, it's an ongoing legal case. I can't comment. The Tony, Con, still... the Tony Khan after the CM Punk uh, shit really hit the fan. Exactly. The, 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 that's a great question. I appreciate you asking it, Defense. Um, yeah. B- but then there's the, the, the other end of the spectrum where you could have a very set, like, one prepared statement that you've cur- cur- carefully worked out with your PR team and lawyers beforehand. Be like, this is our only comment for the night. We're going to lead off with it. We're not going to take questions. This is, like, what you're going to get. Or We're distributing fir- pr- printed versions of it. Yeah, or there's the third option, which is you can try and really engage. And then there's the fourth option, which Triple H discovered, which I didn't know was a thing that existed, where you can kind of ghoulishly say multiple times, like, uh, like I, I just want to focus on the positive. Like, we had a great week. Where, where right, It would have been better just to say... One of the worst things he could have said. Oh, because, boy. yeah, and instead of saying, like, it, it combines the fact that you're not giving information with this kind of tone-death, like... It's not instead of saying we can't talk about it, it's it, it, the way he framed it was almost like I just don't want to talk about it. The vibes are off, like like yeah, we, we, which is which is worse, you know. And the fact talk, that talking about it would mess up my chakras. Yeah, I mean, I did not see this personally, but I was on some Discord. I saw someone say that I guess backup hangman did like who has sources did like a a, a like a Google group or something like a Twitter group the the day before, and he was saying that like apparently Triple H was telling people backstage like you know I'm prepared to take the questions in a, in a way you know like let everyone know like you know I'm gonna fall on my shield you know like I, I'm gonna take the brunt of this don't worry. And again, like that, that suggested like, oh, he's ready for this. He had a plan. And then you watch it and he's not. He's not. No. Uh, like everything I read just sounded uh, like it's a combination of grotesque and also like cringe humor that he isn't like intentionally creating. Um, like this is, you know, ignoring the, the gross aspect of stuff. The way he approached it was almost Larry David like. Um, like this could be if shifted away from the, the worst aspects of it, this could be like the plot line of an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. So, and... I have a question for you. Actually, I, I, yes. I hate to interrupt, but I was just gonna say, do, do you give any truck at all to the theory some have floated, which is he is deliberately being left out to dry by TKO because they <sighs> think they might need a fall guy? Because I'm one of the people that think like. I don't think they're playing that kind of 4D chess where they're going to make themselves look bad now to help facilitate them possibly cutting him later if need be. But, but, but I mean, people, th- th- that's a sign of how bad that presser was, right? Like, yeah, that, did, he, did someone do this to him on purpose, you know? I honestly don't think so. Uh, and one reason I don't think so is because if you'll recall when, uh, you know, Vince first stepped down, there's kind of a lot of panic about um, who would take over the booking, right? Even though yeah. Levesque was in-house. Uh, and I think that if you lose both Vince, who is basically treated as the one person who understands pro wrestling by Wall Street, and then you lose, you know, the guy who at various points was groomed uh, to be his successor and, uh, you know, had been doing it for the past year during a hot, you know, fairly hot period, um, I can't imagine that, you know, they'd be gung-ho about dumping both of them and then going to 
I don't even know who, you know, uh, yeah. Shawn Michaels or bringing in Eric Bischoff or Vince Russo or something, you know. Um, yeah. Um, now, what I, what it's kind of reminiscent to me is something that Triple H would do while he was a wrestler, which is vastly overestimate his own abilities. <laughs> You're saying uh, this is the equivalent of like one of his WrestleMania matches where he goes 30 or, or like 25 minutes. And it's like, well, this would have been good if this was 15. Yeah, this is the press conference equivalent of, yeah, I can guide Vladimir Kozlov through a 25-minute match. <laughs> this will be just fine. Yeah. And that's just the vibe I, I can I riff got. on this. You know, I don't need to prep. Yeah. I'll, I'll just, uh, I'll call it in the ring. Yeah. And uh, and he gets out there and it's like, oh, no, I can't call it in the ring. And, and like, that's the only thing I can really think of is, is, uh, is that that's what happened. Um, I... I'm kind of shocked that he wasn't sent out there with a prepared statement of some kind, or even a list of talking points. And to the point that like, I have no information indicating this was the case at all. Like no one's even said anything along these lines, but I do think it would be uh, once again, very Paul Levesque slash triple H to like get that and him, like just being like, all right, sure. Thanks. And then crumpling it up and be like, I got this. Yeah. And uh, th- that's just something I wonder about uh, because it just seemed like an all time, um, implosion um and the rambling statement on the top where he just like everyone thought he was just going to try to filibuster through it <laughs> um and get through like you know just like talking about andrade coming back and like oh, all these great people jade cargo as Aura, thank you jordan grace and tna and then um the questions came and um yeah it's oh boy it just reads on paper and again i haven't watched it that's on me uh i've been doing uh actual work this week shockingly uh but you know it's just reads like a tremendous own goal on his part and uh it's really surprising and uh kind of pathetic <laughs> frankly um how do you think people did in the press uh as far as like the media members uh not good <laughs> I, I i mean um I, well, let me say this. I'm I'm on the camp. I know there are debating camps. I'm on team. Most wrestlers don't need to be asked about this. Like, um, especially in the press conference where Triple H was going last. I don't. Th- I, I agree with the people, including. I know there was at least one person who worked that presser who was of the mindset of like, we have to be careful. We don't want to scare Triple H off. Like, if we if we burn a, if we burn a huge question on someone early. There, the, you know, there was a consideration. There might be a chance, like he shifts, like maybe he gets a cold. He's <laughs> notoriously got... skittery. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and, and also, you know, you're probably not going to get a ton from someone like, like, look, in a way, everyone's worthy of asking that question. And I think there are some big stars. Like, I think it was worth getting Cody's perspective. As yeah, I, I would defend that one. That de- one definitely seemed like a, a good person to ask with a good question. So kudos because for that he, one. Because he's a top star, and which in some ways carries more weight, and he's a former executive of a different major wrestling company. So yeah. asking him about like, hey, how would you? Where, what's your perspective on this? That that's a unique kind of important perspective that not many people on that roster, almost no one has, you know. So that that was valid. But no, the Triple H, he was asked seven questions, and only three of them were about. <laughs> the biggest scandal to ever hit WWE ever. I think it's safe to say at this point, the yeah. one that finally brought down Vince McMahon that, you know, necessitated the most important figure in the history of pro wrestling 
to resign from the company he created. And, and not just created, but like ruled with an iron fist for the past four decades. Yeah, and I realized in a way he didn't create it, it was his grand, it was father, but I mean, yeah. the, the modern version. But, um, and four of the seven questions were literally, I swear to God, things like, is this the best era of WWE of all time? Or is it fun to book a roster that is this large or is it difficult? And those aren't even good questions by if this was the slowest news cycle in wrestling history, I would criticize those questions. Yeah. The fact that there were seven questions and four of them were that, um, yeah, it's, it's horrible. I know there's a defense some people have had where they've said, you know, some people in particular might have trauma, you know, this might be a trigger. And I am very, sympathetic to that some people aren't i am I, I feel like if you have one specific topic like sexual assault that is a trigger to you, you have personal things i don't think that should disqualify you from being a report i don't think that should disqualify you oh, no. from attending one of these pressers but the thing is this was a very important availability this is the only time probably people are during this like period are going to get to ask questions of one of the central figures of the story live from the whole world where clearly he did not have prep and there were seven opportunities for that. You had to raise your hand to volunteer to take a question. If you did not feel comfortable asking this one, you could have sat this one person out, this one presser, and let someone else ask a question. You did not have to ask if this was the greatest era of WWE of all time. You could, if you, if you were like, there's something about this where I don't feel comfortable confronting someone about sexual assault, especially a powerful figure. You know what? I get it. But there were other people that are willing to do it, and you took that from them. So you could ask a question that meant nothing. And most of the people that were at these pressers, I mean, that did ask these questions, I've seen them before. They were at other pressers. They will be at other pressers again. This was not their one time in a lifetime to talk to Triple H. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, um, going back to the the trauma thing, um, I have PTSD, like diagnosed with it. And so I am... Um, you know, not only am I sympathetic to the consideration of people with that and everything, but I also uh, literally know firsthand what it's like when it gets uh, activated, when it's triggered. Um, but I also think that, like, you know, if, if an individual does not feel all right asking one of those questions, that's, you know, obviously fine. But I think at the same time, presuming that um, everyone in the room or every woman in the room that has that a specific uh, situation is kind of, uh, I, I guess the word I want to look for is, I guess, unfair. Um, you yeah. know, one of my one of my favorite writers in sports media is uh, Diana, I think it's Moskovitz, uh, who's now for Defector and used to write for Deadspin. And she writes almost exclusively about um, sexual assault and does a wonderful job about it. Um, and that's not to say like everyone has to be her or, you know, it, it's not like I'm trying to apply a one size fits all, you know, situation here, but I'm just saying like, I think it's also kind of undermining what, um, you know, female reporters, um, if you kind of say, well, they shouldn't be expected to do, you know, to, to report on this stuff because they might have had this history as a group, I guess. And, um, I don't know. I just not really big on that, I guess. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it just seemed like a disaster um, all around. I will say some people did better than expected. Um, Cameron Hawkins, in particular, asked a you know a better question than I expected from him. Uh, so credit to him. 
Um, and you know, there's some other ones, of course, Brandon Thurston, who is like always the one adult in the room at these. Um, but yeah, I mean, it seems like as bad as Levesque was, I think, um, I think uh, the media didn't exactly outshine him as a collective, and that's very frustrating. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Cameron Hawkins, Brandon Thurston, and John Alba. It's worth calling yeah. them out by name. Like Alba those were the three. And Nick Hausman, you know, asked Cody Rhodes the, the, the question about. Yeah, that was know. if you're just going to get to ask Cody something, then that's the right question and right person to ask. You know. Yeah, and so. Yeah, and you know, it's the one thing I will say, which I think is like I think Brandon Thurston he wrote a tweet recently, like a long tweet about you know encouraging people to ask the hard questions and doing it far more eloquently in far fewer words than I typically do with that kind of stuff. But the one thing I will say is he he kind of bolstered people by um being like um you know I've asked tough questions, you know questions I know they WWE wouldn't want to hear at every one of these pressers, and I keep getting invited back. So like you, you know the, the the impression of like you should not be afraid either. But I was reading, I was kind of thinking. Not, to be fair, Brandon, not everyone else there is Brandon Thurston. Like Brandon Thurston has some kind of like magic dust where he has such respect. <laughs> like he gets to both companies' pressers, he always asks like reasonably tough insight incisive questions and they like they always call on it like not only do they still invite to the pressers they 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 search um, them out yeah they never ignore him they always make like and i don't know if everybody like part like i'm not saying i think reporters should be brave no like i i completely agree with the thrust of his thing but i do think I, I think some other people wouldn't get the brandon thurston treatment i think you have to have kind of have a level of credibility you know, that goes, you know what, we really need to keep calling on this guy. You know, we, we have a good rapport with him. You know, he's tough, but fair. I I think if Joe Rando dressed up like Hulk Hogan at the show, (laughs) asked that question, he might not be asked to come back again. That's just, that's just a hunch. You know, there's a difference, but yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, he's got the gravitas, he's got the skills, you know, he's able to ask these hard questions, but do them in a way that isn't, uh, over the top, I reckon, or in some like inherently disrespectful way that is just going to completely, you know, make people unwilling to have him there. So, yeah, I mean, he's like, you know, at what he does, he, you know, I think relative to what he does, he's, you could argue, is the best in in wrestling media at all. Yeah, uh, including, we need more of him. Absolutely. We need more Brandon Thurston's. Yeah, we need a lot more uh, of him and less of, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, the reactionary uh, tribalist people, I guess, um, which includes, unfortunately, some aspects of wrestling media. So yeah. it's a very frustrating situation. And, and the one last thing I, I will just say about this is I, I have no problems with soft, quote unquote, media, like the people that are just oh, yeah. going to do light articles. It's just that they take up 99% of the space and oxygen and w- w- like oppressors is very suited for the hard media. Like it, it's mm-hmm. not suited to get your in-depth interview that you're going to use as your main source for like a long article piece about say, you know, what it was like for Cody Rhodes to win his second Royal Rumble in front of his family. But it is good about putting someone on a spot about like a recently developing story live in front of everybody. Yeah. And I feel like when people are like, 
oh, like, are you, you know, you saying that there shouldn't be a world where someone like Denise Salcedo can do what she does? No, there's a, absolutely a place like she does it well. You know, she, you know, there's a place for her, but there's 99 places for what they do. This is like the one place where maybe yeah. the other kinds of people could, could, could get their kind of work done. And it feels like they have to fight to even get a little bit of the time there. So that, that's what's frustrating to me. Yeah, th those questions are kind of like if someone went to like a press conference after the assassination assassination of JFK and was trying to ask Jackie O like where she got her blood covered suit. You know, <laughs> it's kind of like this. This isn't the time or place. You know, we got bigger fish to fry here. But yeah, how nice was that car? It was that was that parade. I mean, it was. A, I mean, look, <laughs> one bad thing happened, but otherwise, pretty good parade. You know, you if one bad you float, about, you're not going to criticize it. What do you think about Dallas? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, what a time, what a time. And, uh, yeah, um, you know, I think that there was the Shawn Michaels NXT presser, uh, <clears throat> yesterday, which I did not manage to catch anything of at all, but you know, what I did read afterwards and listen to afterwards seemed to indicate that, uh, maybe, uh, the questions asked to Levesque, uh, gave some other people a backbone. You know, uh, yeah. to, to ask more questions. Now, I also think the concentration of uh, serious reporters is higher with the phone calls mm -hmm. rather than the in-person ones because, uh, you know, the people that are trying to do this for real probably are, like, looking at, you know, their money <laughs> and trying yeah. to not just waste money to travel, you know, down to a pay-per-view where they not, may not even get called on. No, I think that's a great point because I do think bravery encourages more bravery i've seen at these pressures that when one person asks a serious question often you'll get like a flurry of serious questions afterwards that i don't think you would have gotten like once someone breaks the seal and also maybe even like a phone presser like it's easier sometimes to ask someone a difficult question over the phone that is yes when you're feet away from them you, that, that that's just a fact of life so that, that exactly. i was shocked at how they followed up you know that they actually asked him pretty tough personal question so yeah i, I was actually very surpri pleasantly surprised by that yeah and uh you know it sounds like michael's wasn't as poorly performing at that his presser but also it feels like he didn't really get prepared either so yeah which is kind of astonishing like you know i, I can all it's a little more understandable though not really when levesque has his two days after but when it's been like almost a week after and michael's is like oh this was harder than i expected you're like buddy <laughs> <laughs> you should have expected this. You should have expected Fred, this. I would just side. say, after the Shawn Michaels promo with uh, CM Punk and NXT, I will never be surprised again if, if Shawn Michaels is unprepared for something. Yeah. Like, never again. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, uh, with all that lovely, uh, you know, conversation pieces, do you think that there's any chance Vince scrapes his way back in? Because I think if you had asked me last week, like after, like Sunday or Monday, of this past week, uh, I probably would have said there was a, a puncher's chance on it, you know, like maybe 10 or 20%, just because, you know, he's like a junior Donald Trump where nothing seems to stick to him, you know, regardless of what he does. And uh, there's that baked in thing that the media just looks down on pro wrestling and doesn't pay attention to it because it's a carny business and like, yeah, I get it. Uh, but at the same time, like, you know, he's been connected to all these awful things for years and years and years and nothing really seriously happened to him. And then uh, we started getting like the media continuing to pay attention to this. And it was like, Oh, this actually may mean something uh, like when Tim Marchman, another very good writer, uh, co-authored a piece or two for vice this week, uh, the wall street journal continued to report on this. Um, 
I, I think that, you know, this may actually have been the end of Vince McMahon. Yeah, it, it's tough because I think you're right. I do think this is the end, but I hesitate sometimes saying that because I'm like the kid who's touched the stove too many times because uh, Matt Feuerstein, my co-host on Through the Years, I was like, the when this when the original scandals for this thing broke in 2022, I was emphatic in like a private chat with Matt, like Vince is done. And Matt was like, yeah, I think he's coming back. You know, I th- don't you, you don't think there's a chance? And I was like, no, he's done. Look at this. You know, it's in the Wall Street Journal. And he came back. And now yeah. I really do feel like he's done but I'm scared to say that because I feel like, you know, he's wiggled out of every single jam of his life. It's like the Trump tweet. Yeah. I mean, but at the same time, he doesn't have the power to like force himself in anymore. And I think the big thing is he's been through this once before recently. Like, like even if, even let's say Vince got this quietly settled very quickly and no one else raised their voice. Or let's say he even somehow won this case if Jerry McDavid McDivitt crawled out of the grave and I know he's not dead and defended him <laughs> and, and, and saved him and, got, and and proved it all wrong even. Let's say that. Yeah. I feel like TKL is probably in the position now where this has happened enough times in recent history where they're like, even if you're like quote unquote through this, we're going to look really bad if we take you back and this hits a third time. Like you, you can't, you, you almost, you can't because th- there's no deniability. If you invite Vince back, no matter what happens with this case, like if it oh, happens yeah. again, you can't say, Oh, there was no signs. You know, honestly, you know, there are plenty of signs that he shouldn't have been able to come back this time, but he strong armed his way. Cause he had the power to, I, and I think that's more than anything is why he can't come, why he won't come back is because he's just out of options where the people can support him and look like, Hey, you know, you don't believe in second chances. You don't believe in having good faith. <laughs> like, like, like th- there's too much. Now. You, you, yeah. you, they can never do that. make that argument anymore. And he does, he's out of Trump cards. I think, uh, I don't yeah. think he's got anything left to play. Like when he came back last time, it was because he was like, well, I have all the stock and I will ruin this company, you know, and, he, and you know, that's the thing he's always done. He's always run WWE as his personal fiefdom. And even when they went public, like they did not do the thing where, okay, we're really going to focus on maximizing uh, profit, you know, our investors profit uh, like they wanted to, obviously, but like that was never the top priority. The top priority was always uh, a bit of man damage and um you know, that's why things like this happened, uh, because they just had that culture around there where everyone was a yes man for him and there was no one trying to stop him from anything. And uh, he probably could have shot someone backstage and like he, there would have been enough sycophants around him where they would have like, all right, Vince, I'll go get a rug. We'll get the body in there and I'll drive it out to the Jersey Swamps. Don't worry, Vince. And, and the other big thing I think that change that's changed too is for so long the thought always was when like Vince was in his 50s, 60s, or whatever the idea was, it's particularly in his 60s or even early 70s, 70s the idea is oh Vince is probably bulletproof because one he owns the company, but also th- there was this terrified ter- this thought that people would be terrified that if Vince left the stock would crash because there's this impression that Vince is encouraged that, you know, he's the one person that understands wrestling. He's the one person that can run a successful wrestling company. And the last few years you've seen him, you know, he, at least publicly out of creative, the company is in like its most successful period in a long time. You know, he's basically on there in TKO at this point, he was before he stepped down in like kind of name only and maybe to, 
you know, have some Saudi connections to help, you know, things here or there. Well, his name value is nothing now. His name value yeah. is a negative. But like the, the, the things were, that would have protected him would have been before would have been like, well, you need Vince to run things because this company won't be successful without him running things. Well, that's been proven in the modern era that like they don't need him running things. In fact, exactly. it probably will run smoother without him. Yeah. And uh, also on top of all that, he is 78. So, you know, even if, you know, you posed a scenario about five minutes ago where he, um, you know, was able to disprove the accusations and everything and walk away scot-free, that'll take years to do it if he does fight everything. Yeah. Uh, so like we'd be probably in his 80s, so 81, 83, who knows? And like at that point, you know, uh, was TKO really going to be clambering after one presumes some years of at least decent success uh, or at least being too big to fail in wrestling yeah. uh, to be like, well, we got to bring back the 83 year old with a history of rape accusations and uh, bad booking decisions and all this. Yeah, exactly. Uh, You're not getting potential decades of service from him. At that right. Point. Well, uh, this is an AEW podcast, so let's talk about AEW some. And I think the biggest story going on in AEW right now is uh, the attendances for their shows are uh, pathetic for the most part. Now, uh, of course, the Revolution pay-per-view is doing very well, sold out at, I believe, over 15,000 in Greensboro. But their TV tapings for the next few weeks, uh, still awful. Uh, most of these are, um, there's all but like two, three actually are over, are under 3,000. And two of them that aren't are like 3064 and 3128. And we have, there's four in a row that are um, under 2,000. We've got a 1246 in Henderson, Nevada. We've got a 1784 in Cedar Park, Texas, an 1817 in Tulsa, and a 1393 for a double taping in Huntsville, Alabama. And these are just brutal numbers. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's insane. You know, it's funny because you're hearing like there are 18,000 reasons people are now speculating about why the, the attendance is so bad. And, you know, a lot, I'm sure we'll go over many of them. A lot of them are valid, but there's like, there are so many plausible reasons. It's almost hard to pick. Like, what is, what is the reason that's really driving this? Cause you can make up, you can, you can come up with five different reasons off the top of your head that could be plausible why it, it, it's this low. But I, I think one thing that people have been pointing to that I would, consider right off the bat would be the idea that AEW was for in recent months giving a lot of comps and a lot of late right before the show discounts and things like that and those are kind of like the fad diet of the pro wrestling world where they work really well initially but then you get this huge bounce back right yeah. like i watched my parents with the old like we're just gonna eat the beet soup diet for two months and then like four months later they lose 20 pounds and four months later they're 30 pounds heavier you know like yeah. it, it and it's the same thing here where apparently, you know, when they've shifted recently and decided, you know, we're going to stop doing that. But the problem is you've now trained your audience that don't buy tickets till late, you know, and you, because you'll get a comp or you'll get a real good discount. And then what happens when you wait for that discount and the discount doesn't come? You've trained yourself to expect that. And you might go, you know what? I don't really need to go to this collision then. You yeah. know, I, I thought I was going to get a, a, a free ticket or a real cheap ticket. You know what? Yeah, whatever. It didn't come. Maybe next time. Yeah, I think that's a major one. But also, I just don't think they're talk. I mean, they're obviously not talking people through the door. Uh, they, you know, I think the past month or so of you know the post MJF run has been pretty good for the most part. There's been some 
some dynamites that have been like very, you know, mediocre, but you know, it's all been pretty good. There hasn't been anything that has been like really awful in that time period, you know, maybe a couple of matches that were disappointments, but yeah, I just think, um, you know, like they've, you know, they very loudly announced what's coming next dynamite. Uh, like they pushed that really hard. And I think that's the reaction to just kind of, you know, for a few weeks there being like, well, uh, you know that people will be here and we're AEW, so obviously you'll give us money. And then, you know, those dates come and they, you know, the attendances are 1500 or whatever. And they're like, oh, our presumed plan of just getting money is not working. We need it, Jeff. Yeah, and it, it it's it's interesting too because you know the, the thing hasn't the stated AEW theory always been that by kind of piecemealing out these these matches over the week online we kind of keep the uh, ourselves in the conversation all week long where other people have been arguing the opposite which is you really want to give people time to look forward to this and time to plan out and buy tickets well yeah like you mentioned clearly on that diamond I was kind of surprised they. Uh, by the end of that night, they basically gave you the entire card. Yeah, for sure. A week, oh, seven days at a time, which is not typically something they they always do. And the ironic thing is, they're doing it for their best. Like looking at at your uh, form sheet here, um, they're doing the, the that's their best attended event in the next couple months. So, yeah. I mean, in a way, it doesn't need. To, I mean, in a way, I think you should reward those people, and it's it's a good practice to get into no matter what. But it's kind of funny because it's the one that's actually above four thousand tickets sold that they're actually doing the this theory of like, hey, let's just give you the whole card, big matches. It's the biggest dynamite they've probably done this year so far, and yeah, it. it so, all right, here's a question for you. Sure. Um, because it's my show now, clearly. But uh, <laughs> well, I, I am the co-host. I thought I was going to be guest, but you know, there's a different responsibility, Fred. If I'm the co-host, you got to step up. <laughs> but uh, what, what I ask you is, so here's another thing that you've heard. There's been rumors about, which is they're going to start booking just more of the major markets and less of the smaller markets. These non. Yeah, Meltzer mentioned that last week. But, but part of me wonders. Is that also going to be like the, the the fad diet thing where initially if you just lean on your strongest markets more often, that's going to give you a boost, but you're going to burn them out quicker, right? Yeah, and I think we – you definitely saw that with Chicago uh, last year, I believe, uh, in a bit in 2021 as well, where, you know, they were like, hey, CM Punk's back. And Chicago was like, yeah, baby, we're in. And they were like, hey, we're back with CM Punk again. They were still excited. And then after like the sixth time, they are like, oh, I think I've had enough CM Punk. Yes, the old, you know, you can shear a sheep, you know, a hundred times, but you can only, you know, kill it once for the tasty meat. I've never eaten sheep. Um, but, but yeah, and I feel like sometimes AEW, they get a little thirsty for like, oh, this is, a, we had a great attendance here. Let's really drill down on this. And it's like, I'd rather have a, a market where I could attend it once a year and draw like a really big house yeah. than like milk it dry like three times a year. And then it, it, it becomes just a, a middling territory a middling market for years to come yeah and uh you know at the same time there's only so many places in the united states even though it's a massive country obviously and there's plenty of like you know what i consider major league cities where you have uh you know a major league sports team you know um and uh you know if you look at the list here uh i forget if cedar park is a uh is that a Houston suburb or is that a Dallas um, suburb? Fred, I'm Canadian. I, you are Canadian. You guys are. It is Austin. I have Texas. no idea how your voodoo works. 
um very well don't check that um but yeah like they are hitting some like i mean tulsa and huntsville aren't like small cities by any stretch but they are on the smaller end there's they're not phoenix or you know henderson nevada which is a standard for las vegas um and they're definitely not toronto or ottawa or even quebec city um so i don't know you know it's going to take time for them to implement that but i do think that um you know, I, I think back to early on in um, like 2019 when AEW first started that one of its hottest markets per capita for the pay-per-views and then when they ran like the third or fourth episode of Dynamite there was Charleston, West Virginia, which is 100% not a large city. It's the largest city in West Virginia, but it's West Virginia. I mean, the you know, West Virginia itself has a population of like 1.3 million. Um and uh but i mean it did really well there and i i was actually in attendance for that show and i remember the young bucks came out afterwards and were like yeah you know we remember sold out when it ran here back in the 90s for wcw and we're gonna run a pay-per-view here someday and you know the, this pretty full arena was like yeah let's do it and then you know i don't i'm not even sure if they've ever gone back to be honest yeah. uh, i think they did once but you know and it's you know you gotta I think blaming it on the size of the market rather than what you're doing to get people in the shows is a flawed and short-sighted strategy because, you know, if you just start running the Phoenixes and Seattles and Miamis and, you know, the, you know, Chicago's and New York's and LA's exclusively, then, you know, but you don't change anything else, then I think you're going to end up with like this, you know, dynamite we have next week where it's Phoenix and you do draw 4,000 people for it. But like, within the realm of what you should expect for phoenix that is probably on the lower end yeah and i think that you do need to space these out some and you know you got to hit the second tier cities once in a while and uh i don't know i i feel like aw's um the the like you mentioned earlier the the tweet and stuff out uh over the week i think that works for tv but i think we're seeing that uh you know, there's a lack, a loss of faith for whatever reason that, you know, people that pay to attend are going to get that kind of thing. You know, the, the suit, what they want from buying a ticket. And uh, it's kind of on them to figure that out. And I do think there's a lot of, a lot of validity to the argument some have made, which is, you know, wrestling is a star driven business. AEW in its first year or two, it could just sell it on the brand of you're coming to see AEW. Oh, yeah. But generally, wrestling fans, they want to see specific people. They want to see stars that seem special and above it, not just on oh, no, of wrestling with a brand you like. And unless the brand is incredibly hot, like WWE could probably get away with that. But ironically, they typically, you, you it, they're a safer bet in the sense if you, if you go to a Raw, you know you're going to see Cody Rhodes. That's the example everyone uses. He's going to yeah. do either a promo or a match. And if you go to a, an AEW event, you don't know if you're even going to see the world champion. There were there were occasionally weeks where even MJF, when he was champion, wasn't there. You know, yeah. you, you you never knew what you were going to get. You're going to see something. You know, there, there, there's a, 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 a standard of quality. You're going to see some star. But if you have a specific favorite or someone that would draw you, there's no guarantee. You know. And uh, yeah, so that's probably a big issue. So the the one thing I'm gonna ask, because again, I'm co-host now. Tyler's never coming <laughs> back. I've cut his breaks. So I, 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 I hate to break it to you. Um, I, but, I I hate to report this, but Tyler has gone to the Senior Bowl, which uh, to watch uh, what I can only assume are very old people play football, and he's never coming back. Yeah, um, that that's that's the equivalent of when they tell you that your dog went to a farm while you were on vacation. Like, yes, yes, Fred, Tyler went to the Senior Bowl. Um, he he's having a great time forever. 
But um, (laughs) (laughs) what I would say is what I want to ask you, because I've been thinking about this. So what do you think about the idea that the long Ring of Honor tapings at the end kill people? Because on one end, I could see it, but part of me feels like weird, like, because it's like they always have at the end of the show, generally, like if they're boring, you don't have to stay. <laughs> like, yeah. like especially by now, you should know going in if you've ever seen results or any of these shows that like, oh, collision is done. There's going to be 18 hours of Ring of Honor matches now. Like you don't have to stay for like the idea of like I mean, I, I'm sure it has burned some people up, but I just try to imagine this this audience of thousands of people that are like, we want to leave, but we have to support Gringo Loco. <laughs> like there are people that leave these events all the time the idea like you know you get a full night without seeing the ring of honor stuff i I just but i I mean i would try maybe pairing it back absolutely but i just i I just try and put myself in their shoes and feel like if the show was getting too long especially if it's like non-important stuff i would just go well they've given me more than i needed i i i don't have to watch all of this right now i you know i like castle i don't have to see him wrestle four hours into this night I I don't really buy that argument from people because my reasoning is like, okay, so, th- so their whole argument is you go to a show and then after the good parts of the show are over, there's this interminable uh, Ring of Honor taping and everyone like has to stay there for the entire time, apparently. And then they either die of old age and can't return to the next show or else they are just like, well, I'm not doing that again. Uh, and decide not to buy tickets. I don't know why these hypothetical people don't just walk out, like you said. Uh, that doesn't really add up to me. Yeah, um, it, it would so. be different if it was like, we're going to give you a Brian Danielson, Kenny Omega dark match, but you have to watch two hours of Ring of Honor. You know, it, it'll start at 12, you know, the 20 after midnight because you have to watch yeah. the Ring of Honor take first. But they never do that. You know, like, it's like, it, here's Collision. The big thing is done. Here's some other stuff. Yeah. Uh, you now get to watch a bunch of uh, AEW Dark, but it's red and black themed. Um, <laughs> I yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I, I don't see why that would be the case. Um, I think it's combining a valid argument, which is that the way Ring of Honor is done doesn't make any sense whatsoever, and then um, it's a, like going okay, ergo, you know, A equals B, therefore uh, seventy five. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't. The math doesn't work. Um, Now, I I do want to ask you about this because you are a co-host of not just this podcast now, uh, but (laughs) through the years, uh, which is your Ring of Honor recap podcast, where you go back and watch every show, uh, regardless of if it's held in a tent outside or if it's uh, the boring suffocation, which I just listened to this week. Um, But you. you know, you, you, you have a long history of watching Ring of Honor. Um, and I wanted to ask you, like, what do you think about what they are doing with Ring of Honor um, as a product and as a brand in 2023-2024? Um, it's tough because on one hand, like, it's hard to there, – there's a level of, of being critical you can never go to, or at least I can't, because it's like you knew – you know the alternative would have been WWE buys the library and the company dies. So it's like no matter how – what you think, you know, whether Ring of Honor is not being properly utilized or some value is being squandered, it's like – well, it's not dead, you know, like, like, right. like it's crossing one bar, one very real possibility, you know, it, it is alive in some form, but yeah, they basically have turned it into a slight, somewhat upgraded dark, 
Um, it's been a fun home for Athena to really get to rule the roost and really have just a great run, which is a double-edged sword because in one way it's like it's nice that she gets to have this be the big fish in a small pond. But on the other hand, it's kind of sad that she's doing this incredible work that's getting seen by such a small fraction of a potential audience. But but it, it, it's weird because the Ring of Honor pay-per-views under Tony Khan are like this. I, I think they're honestly a safer bet than the AEW pay-per-views in terms of they're going to be great shows so far. Um, because you have never had one where like a big weird angle has derailed it the way <laughs> occasionally an AEW pay-per-view has. But yeah, the TV is, yeah, it's a souped up dark. And it, it's hard to evaluate that because it's like, you are getting these incredible shows three, four times a year, but then you get this, it's, there, there are things you could do with ring of honor. And it's just the idea of for a company that constantly seems like they are so stressed and have, and their attention is so divided and they're already like, just, you always get the vibe that, you know, AEW is just, you know, everything's getting sealed and put a bow on like minutes before airtime. It's the, the idea of saying, show. Yeah, the idea of saying, hey, you know, let's do more separate tapings. Let's put more thought into something else that isn't your main thing. It feels like a kind of a heavy ask. But yeah, there is like, honestly, if you talk about things that maybe someone, you know, Tony could hand off, maybe that is something he could hand off to somebody. But you, it's, it's a matter of finding someone you really trust that has a vision you know, all that stuff, you know, I know there was always those rumors of was, oh, Cody could have done Ring of Honor. Who knows if those rumors are true or not? But, sure. you know, could could you to find someone like that, that where it's like, you know, this is going to be its own thing. It's going to be this guy, someone else's playground, and it's going to free me up. It's going to be just AEW. I'm now now gonna not going to have to have a separate binder for my ROH booking of 12 matches every week, you know. I don't know. So, yeah, it's hard to judge. It, it, you know, in a way... The Ring of Honor, I really loved, loved. Like, there's been Ring of Honor I've enjoyed throughout its history, but the Ring of Honor I really loved kind of died in 07, 08. So it's, it, I'm not feeling like this incredible, like, oh, they're killing something I've had a 20-year a love affair with. Like, no, I, I really loved Ring of Honor from its inception to like 07, 08. So it, it's a little easier for me to, to swallow whatever's happening to it at this point. Very fair. Uh, I, I think, you know, early on, uh, when it, you know, we pretty early in the run of this podcast, when that ring of honor deal was announced, uh, and before collision was a thing, uh, Tyler and I were like, well, maybe we'll talk about ring of honor like every week. And then I think we both tried to watch, um, like the first episode and it was apparent what it was going to be. And we we're like, mm, no, we're good. <laughs> Not going to worry about that. So yeah. The number uh, of people that like subscribe for one month of honor club. And then we're like, how do I cancel this? Was yeah. probably pretty sizable. Yeah, uh, bad enough they put just put the last pay per view on there. I think to in a pretty apparent attempt to get more subscribers, um, mm -hmm. and deciding that it wasn't worth the uh, whatever they were getting off a of pay per view. Um, but speaking of uh, well, terrible transition, but possibly not worth it. Uh, collision rating this past week when they went head up against the uh, Royal Rumble, uh, that did not go too well. Um, they overall they had both their worst overall rating and their worst key demo rating. Uh, Three hundred thousand overall at a .06 in the eighteen forty nine. I think uh, if Rampage didn't outpace it this past week, it was pretty damn close. Um, 
And they went with a not a huge show, but like a strong one, you know, with that cage main event. Um, and uh, I mean, both were just the all time worst for the show, including whenever it's been preempted, which is usually the easy, you know, uh, bottom of the list uh, cases. But just a just a rough rating. And I honestly think this is just kind of a, you got to take your medicine situation. Um I think that they're just kind of stuck with every, you know, a couple times a year, they're going to go up against the Royal Rumble or WrestleMania or some huge sporting event on a Saturday night. And they're just going to get murdered. And I think that um, this is one of those nights. And I don't think it's really indicative of anything beyond, uh, you know, uh, the attention of their audience getting spread out too thin. Yeah. There's a phrase that kind of goes through my head where, uh, for some reason, a weird, if you want to know if I do anything other than tweet about wrestling on Twitter and then disappear for a few days. Well, when I disappear for a few days, because I'm indulging my other hobby, watching uh, British uh, trivia shows on YouTube that I understand half the questions of. But uh, there's one, uh, Richard Osman's House of Games, and Richard Osman is a lovely British chap who, uh, he, he is a huge Fulham supporter, so there's your AEW connection. Um he, he uh, I don't know if this is a common British phrase or what. I've only heard it from him. So forgive me if this is a very common phrase. He always goes, it's a good day to have a good day. And I feel like if I could sum up Collision's time slot, it's like it's a bad time slot to ha- to be in a bad place with. Because if you're, if you're a hot promotion, you can overcome, you know, facing heavy competition. But when you're a cold promotion, you're going to get hammered so many weeks because – it's like the worst possible time slot when you're cold because you're always facing a sports game, a UFC thing, a WWE event. And it's like, it, it, it is, it is not, if there's ever a hesitation in your fan base of like, you know what, this product no longer seems essential to me right now. Like more than probably half the weeks of the year, they're being given a different option during that time slot to like, Oh, here's something exciting that you could watch. Yeah, and I think you just can't uh, give up on it either because, you know, I think the idea that, well, you know you're going to get massacred on this night, so you just give, like, an awful show, I think that just does way more damage than uh, just having one bad rating, you know, a blip on the chart. Um, I think, you know, not only do you damage, you know, like, instead of a 300,000, you do, what, a 220 with a .03 or something, like, even more embarrassing numbers. But you would also, I think, uh, one, encourage people to break the habit of watching every Saturday, which is something you are desperate to avoid. And two, I think you, whatever market you're running in that night, I think you do really bid, you know, you do noticeable damage to the next time you come into town. Uh, if you, you know, pay the not discounted amount now, especially with that coming, or present, I guess, um, and you go there and, like, the main event is uh, the Guns versus, uh, Ad- you know, Alex Reynolds and John Silver or something. Um, I'll find performers and everything, but not exactly marquees uh, or names on the marquee you want to see. Um, yeah, I think the next time you come through town, you're like, all right, we're going to run a totally normal Dynamite. And I think your fans are just going to be like, mm, no, I don't trust you. Yeah, and, yeah, and then I think that should be the goal, which is, you know, even though DVR ratings usually, especially if they're like a significant time after the airing, don't factor into the ratings. And so therefore, they're not really important to advertisers. Therefore, they're not really important to the networks To in, 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 in many respects. In some respects, that's changed. But like, I think the goal just to keep that relationship with your audience strong should be 
yeah, we're going to get a bad rating, but we're going to put on a show where you're not going to watch Collision on Saturday, but you're damn sure going to DVR it on Sunday. Like you're going to watch it when you wake up tomorrow. And if you make a show that, that, that where the fans aren't even going to feel like it's worthy of doing that, that would be a big issue, I think, too. Yeah. What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the Flagship Podcast here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcast Network. And I just want to let you know about a brand new sponsor we have for the network. It's Eufy. And let me tell you a little bit about their newest product, the Eufy Video Smart E330. This isn't your everyday smart lock. This is a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell offering triple the security and triple the convenience. Instead of loading up your door with a bunch of different devices, you install one, and it takes care of everything in a complete package. It's not just about the home security, though. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is also for convenience. No more worrying about losing keys. You can let each member of your family get a password. You can monitor their movement in and out of the house. You can keep an eye on your packages. You can check in on your house while you're away. There is so much you can do with this product. Best of all, it is easy to install and set up. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver. Leave that drill in the toolbox. The Eufy has keyless entry, a 0.3 second fingerprint recognition, a rechargeable battery with a four-month lifespan, two-way audio from the lock, enhanced night vision, 24-7 customer support, and you'll love this, none of those pesky monthly fees. Eufy sent me a Smart Lock 330, and I've loved it so far. It allows me peace of mind when I'm at work or when I'm away on one of my patented vacations. Plus, it helps me keep track of deliveries to the house, saves me a trip back to the car if I just need to run in for something and I forgot my keys, and the two-way audio system works well for those unwanted guests at my front door. No, I do not need new siding or windows or a roof. Thank you, though. You can simply tell them you aren't interested from the comfort of your couch. Now, are you ready to ditch the others and join the Eufy revolution? Of course you are. Get started today by searching Eufy Video Lock on your search engine of choice. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can finally, once and for all, gain complete control of your door. Once again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock ufeofficial.com slash video lock and we thank them for sponsoring the voice wrestling podcast network what's so special about hero bread soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas these ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar fewer calories and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health shop now at hero.co yeah. So, and, and you know, of course, not just with the Royal Rumble, but they had uh, in the NBA the Lakers against the Warriors, the two of their marquee teams. You had um, a, K- a Kentucky versus Arkansas men's basketball game, and you also had a UConn versus Notre Dame women's basketball game. So it's hard to get a bigger women's game, and you know, all three of those outperformed uh, uh, Collision that night, and um, not a surprise, I think. Yeah. Uh, a couple more uh, just quick notes in the news section. Jim Ross uh, had surgery for cancer on his right hip on uh, yesterday, February 1st, and the surgery reportedly went well for Meltzer in the Observer Newsletter. I presume that's uh, skin cancer and not something else, but uh, best wishes to him. And then um, Wardlow, Wardlow uh, nearly pulled a Joe Lanza there with the Wardlaw. Um, he said uh, on social media that he is fine after appearing to uh, tweak his knee to some extent on Dynamite when he was powerbombing Commander and then limping everywhere <laughs> immediately afterwards. Um, in a very uh, 
interesting, you know, just a weird thing to see on TV. Um, so hopefully he is well as well, as well as I use that word in two different meanings. Uh, everyone loves that when that happens in audio. Um, Trevor, I wanted to ask you about Wardlow. Um, do you think he's salvageable at this point? Um, maybe, but it's almost like there are so many people I would try and they're, they're so one of the AEW's big problems to me that I've harped on for years since pretty much the beginning is they try and push too many people and they divide their times. And that's why you get a lot of these stop start pushes. Like everyone in AEW gets a turn with a push, you know, they just very few get a sustained yeah. committed push. But the, so I guess the thing with is, it's like, you could rehab Warlow, but like, do you want to do the work of rehabbing him or take that energy to someone that maybe starts at zero, you know? And yeah, and that's, that's the thing. Um, yeah, he just, he seems so cold now. And he's one of those AEW characters where he doesn't seem to have any advancement, even just from a kayfabe sense. Like, <laughs> You know, people are talking about how, like, Orange Cassidy is right where he was after that, you know, that big uh, title reign, and now he's back in the same position, it's not quite as hot. Like, Wardlow had this storyline where he feuded with MJF, and it was really hot. Then he had a, a feud with Samoa Joe, where he lost, like, this hair that he uh, said was so important to him. Then he never grew it back. <laughs> it, it, his hair looks awful now, and now he's pining to feud with MJF again. And it seems to be on a collision course with Samoa Joe again, and neither seem as hot. Like, it, you know, it's another guy where he feels like he was hot, then he was paused for a long time, and now they're trying to put him to diminishing returns in the exact things that he once was successful with. Yeah. Which, rather than find something new for him, you know. And even even the idea that he's he's in the same story that they're already doing with a different stable of the on night one of the formation of that stable, Adam Cole's like, you know, you're gonna win the title one day and you're gonna hand it to me. And then ooh, is Wardlow happy with that? They're already doing that with the Christian Cage Luchasaurus thing. So oh, yeah. it, it, it's, it's, it's like yeah, he's just he's he's wearing his old clothes and he's wearing other people's clothes. Like he need, he needs new shirts, he needs new yeah. clothes. Um and a new haircut. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. The the sport cuts number three isn't doing it for him. Um, but yeah, I uh, it, it's kind of sad because I'm with you. I I think that they might be able to if they really put the effort in. But frankly, I don't know if it's worth the effort. I don't know if it's worth the investment. And uh, you know, you mentioned stop and you know start uh, pushes. You know, they kind of did that with Swerve Strickland last year, where like, I think I came on here on the first show of 2023 and was like, he is ready to be a world champion this year. And obviously, if they wanted MJF to be the champ the entire year, they're not going to do that. But they just kind of let Swerve disappear for five months, and then uh, they brought him back. And thankfully, the Adam Page feud was their best of the year, more or less. And um, you know, it worked, but it's still. Uh, I mean, that's just a tough situation. Um, and I just don't know if there's any rectifying it, but, you know, that is kind of the story of Wardlow right now in uh, yeah. AW. He looked like a promising guy, and then, you know, uh, stuff outside of his outside of his control just, um, you know, kind of kneecapped him and part of the pun i guess hey. but hey. <laughs> uh but yeah i mean it's it's 
you know, it, it shows that so much in wrestling is timing. I think if, you know, you went back to, you know, the Steve Austin, you know, King of the Ring win and everything, if you instead were like, well, we'll give you the big win to get you on the come up, Steve, but we'll do it six months later. Like, who knows how wrestling history would have turned out. But You know what is uh, on my show, for some reason, I love making food analogies. Here's a classic Trevor Dane food analogy. Pushing wrestlers is like reheating leftovers where you could probably do it once and get away with it. But if you keep reheating it, like if you're, if you're reheating the same dish like three or four times, you're getting into really dicey territory. It's probably not going to work out for you, you know. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I think fans will accept the idea of oh, this guy. You let sometimes even even if you, so there are some guys where if you miss the window the first time, it's never the same. So sometimes you you can't even reheat it once. It's not even like pizza. But there are times where it is like pizza. You could reheat it once. But there there are other times where you know. It, Every time you 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 ha- you kind of let someone cool off and reheat them again, you're kind of teaching the fans don't get too invested in this wrestler because as hot as they're about to get, you know they're probably going to disappear for a while again. You know they're going to be fade to the background again, and so they're not going to invest as much because they know oh my heart's just going to get broken again. Yeah. And so yeah, you can pull that trick once sometimes. I think once you get into two three times, and with a guy like Wardlow maybe even once or twice is too much you know yeah i think i think it seems like wardlow is more uh, french fries than pizza exactly AEW needs an air fryer that would solve all their problems clearly (laughs) um but that's it for the news um so what's left is to go through uh collision and dynamite uh and trevor i gotta tell you this was a week of two shows where one of them was good and one of them was not so much yeah, it's funny the 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 last couple of dynamites like they've been okay. Here's a perfect example of in AEW everyone gets a chance to um gets their turn on a push. Like it's just really bizarre to me. Like you know some of the business is going down for AEW, but there was some hot momentum off of the end of last year with the Continental Classic. So you know what you need to really follow that up in January a a, a mini push for Jeff Hardy. Let's just start. Let's bring in Rob Van Dam to me. Oh, like boy. Rob Van Dam did not look bad, but it's like of all the stuff you're giving bandwidth to right now to follow up to try and and I feel like it's one of those things where. I'm almost harder watching it because of the attendance, which normally I'm not, but it's like a good show, low attendance, sometimes even has a bit of a folksy charm to it. Like that collision kind of did this week where it's like, oh, this crowd's small, but they're reacting pretty loud. It's kind of a throwback feeling, kind of feels like classic WCW, but it's like you watch Dynamite, it's like very low attendance show in near blackness. With a well past their prime, Jeff Hardy and uh, Rob Van Dam at prominent matches. And you're like, oh, this feels like TNA. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's funny how, you know, just who you utilize in front of a small crowd can completely change the vibe of a show, you know. Oh, yeah. from, oh this is kind of charming to, oh, God, you know, this, this is this is really morbid. Yeah, I, I think that if they used either one of Jeff Hardy and Rob Van Dam, it would have been much better. Uh, and in fact, I, you know, I would have preferred if they used Rob Van Dam, frankly, because of the two, one of them is mobile and, uh, yeah. it's not Jeff Hardy. Um, but you know, I think they're just, I, I think they really put themselves in a tough position when they signed Jeff Hardy. And I think that's, uh, unfortunately, because I mean, I, they're, they were a fantastic actor in their prime and, you know, very important to wrestling history and everything. But I think it's hard to, um, 
kind of understate that uh, I think this is an example of subtraction by addition, you know, that where they uh, sign someone probably not cheaply and uh, are not getting a positive return on that investment. And uh, especially when the Hardys are going on social media every once in a while and like saying, oh, I, I'm not happy with my push. I should be on Dynamite every week. And, you know, I'm like, do you watch your tapes back? You know, yeah. <laughs> are, are you cognizant of what's happening here? Um, but let's talk about Collision first, which was, I thought, a really rock solid show. And then with a, a great main event. Um I thought that was uh, just tremendous stuff. But, you know, everything underneath it on the show was, like, perfectly solid. Uh, every match ha- I had in, like, that three-and-a-half to three-quarter star range outside of the one squash. Um, you know, I even liked the Eddie Kingston-Willie Mack match where Willie Mack appeared to try to, like, end his career prematurely uh, <laughs> with just a terribly botched standing moonsault. Uh, or, I guess, Dan- I think it was supposed to be a shooting star press, actually, where he just kind of rotated half the way and then stopped and uh, landed right on his dome. Uh, Apparently completely fine, fortunately. Thank God for that, because that could have been really bad. Uh, I know people were really high on the Brian Danielson-Yuji Nakata match, and I I definitely didn't hate it or anything, but I thought it was like a a nice three and three-quarter star match, and I saw a bunch of people like four and a half, four and a quarter, and I'm like, I don't, it didn't hit with me like that. Yeah, I wouldn't put. I, I definitely would not give it put four and a half. I, I feel like it's a good match no matter who you are, but it gets like an extra quarter to half star probably if depending on how much fondness you have for the Brian Danielson like dream retirement tour where yeah. Tony Khan's giving him everything he wants and knowing that Brian Danielson like years and years ago in interviews like really put over Eugene the guys like oh this is like the best guy I've been in the ring with at that point and you know it, one of those matches of oh like. The clock is ticking. You, did, did you ever think you'd actually see this before either of these guys is done? And that's still as good as it is, considering especially Nagata's age. Like, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, I'm kind of lucky to see this. And even though it's not, I would not put it it's like, oh, oh, four and a half. I think that's a gross inflation. There's an extra charm of, oh, you know, I can't believe it's nice that we get this, you know? Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I'm not complaining about the existence of the match or anything. Like I enjoyed watching it. I'm glad it happened. I just was a little surprised because, you know, I'm generally considered a generous star raider. And um, I, I, you know, found myself on the low end with that match. And that was a bit of a, am I, am I okay? <laughs> do I need to do a stro- uh, yeah. check for a stroke um, kind of situation? Um, but, you know, I mean, that was, lovely i i really enjoyed the commander uh orange cassidy match i thought that was a sneaky four-star match actually uh, i thought they had a great uh post commercial breaks uh segment and one thing i'm going to put over that um I, I i've been down on the whole timeless tony gimmick all year uh but i will say that i think we finally saw how this gimmick sh- could work a hundred percent which is her cutting that promo and um you know she's being a little goofy you know playing up the the act a little bit but it's she's actually she actually has say stuff to say underneath of all the dressing and um this was like the first time i felt like there was actual direction with her character since we got timeless tony and i thought this was easily better than anything else they've done with that gimmick and i actually enjoyed this segment quite a bit it's really weird. It'll be interesting to see if they can keep threading that needle in any way. Because it's hard. 
Yeah, because yeah, because if you look at this Diana Perazzo feud, they're doing it the, on the Diana Perazzo end. It's this very personal, very grounded. Like, here's our real history. You know, here's we got matching tattoos. You know, here's pictures of Tony Storm when she was a normal human being. You know, <laughs> yeah. and then on the other end, you got someone that's you know talking about anal beads. And yeah, it, it's like. How I don't know how you how you come to a middle ground there um, between the person that thinks it's the 1940s and the person that's trying to do just like modern a modern story that's more about real events. It's I, I don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't know. Yeah, I, my big complaint has been for this entire time is that you know. Like, okay, so you want to make Timeless Tony, and I think that's stuck being at least halfway to a comedy character, not, like, completely devoted to it. That would be fine, but you're doing it on top of your women's division. Okay, that's kind of a tough position in the first place. But in the second, like, throughout, I think that with this character is they haven't had ideas for it. Like, they've had the overarching idea, but there hasn't been a, okay, then what kind of, you know, discussion that led to anything that worked um you know they kind of got to the point where she was just doing you know wacky shit for the sake of it like they just had her all right uh i guess tony we're gonna have you eat a lemon with a peel on still and uh that'll be your big moment in this segment and it's like yeah but you're not talking people in the door with that you know yeah i, I can't imagine that there's that many people that are like rubbing their hands together and going well that wacky uh, Tony Storm. Last time she put a metal pan down her down her pants for her hip attack. I can't wait to see what she does next. I, it just it hasn't been a positive for the most part, and it's very frustrating because with Cheney Hater out, she's probably their best women's you know wrestler in ring. Um, got a saddle with this gimmick that is actively a deterrent to having great matches, and um, you know, and you know, it'd be one thing if this was I don't know, let's say someone with the in-ring capabilities of Ruby Soho, you know, or some of that level, which is, you know, a solid enough worker, but not like a high-level one. Not someone that you can build the division around. So you go, all right, we'll smoke and mirrors this a little bit and give this person the gimmick. But instead, you gave it to your most competent worker. You're not just competent, but great worker outside of, you know, the injured Jamie Hayter. And um, I don't know. It's a very odd situation. And you know, there's all the reporting that, like, Tony Khan is gung-ho with his character and everything and it's very it's a disappointment because i feel like 2023 was a huge step back for AEW's women's division i thought they had a pretty damn good 2021 and 2022 and then we had the you know a really dire outcast versus originals feud that just seemed like it didn't go anywhere it was like the nwo from the 90s uh late 90s and wcw except without any of the good parts and um just a very frustrating situation and if you look at it, like the roster, I think is as good is going to be as good as it's ever been. You know, they have the potential, but yeah, you have this cartoon character up top that the world of the division kind of revolves around. But you know, I think Mariah May has been a really good pickup. You know, if if they do get Mercedes money, like it's going to be a real. And if Jamie Hader comes back from injury, like yeah, it's going to be a, a stacked a division of like compelling names that can really go in the ring, that have some like cachet with fans. But yet, if they're all going to have to just stand around as 
Tony Storm makes weird faces and Wendy Richter references. It's like that mutes a lot of my enthusiasm for it. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think that they, they're starting to put together a good division. Uh, you know, we moved away from the outcast being so heavily featured, and I think that did hurt things for a while. Uh, Queen Aminata is a revelation. I, mm-hmm. I thought she's done really well the past few weeks. Um, I'd like to see more Lady Frost to figure out if that was just the Mariah May effect there, or because I thought that she looked really good in that match. Um, and I think she could be something if that is, uh, you know, a normal performance for her. And I mean, Willow Nightingale is a future star. And like yeah. by future, I mean like two months from now, if you push it right. Um, she She's a phenomenal, ta- phenomenal talent. And they just have a lot of uh, skill on this roster. And it's been a frustrating year because they just felt like they misused it all. Um, and now we have not just Timeless Tony as like a heavily gimmicked, um, you know, uh, character i guess uh but also on the tbs side you have uh you know spooky uh julia hart which is you know i think working better but still it's very much a uh very much a, a you know a, a shtick heavy gimmick at least with julia hart the gimmick's more confined just to a cool ring entrance yeah and occasionally when she's on, on uh, you know at ringside for the house of black she wears a hat and looks cool and makes you know stern expressions where she looks like she's about to break at any second i mean where you know with tony storm it it bleeds into everything at this point it bleeds into her promos it bleeds into her matches it it bleeds into her commentary like it it, it's all encompassing which if it was a good character i mean a character i enjoyed i'd like that it it affects everything but (laughs) because it's one that i feel is kind of you know, I, I would say she has like a 10% hit rate with me. Yeah. Uh, I like when she references Ted Turner. I enjoy that, you know. But yeah, I, I, I do not feel the way Tony Khan does, where you mentioned that Tony Khan clearly likes it. If you don't watch the pressers, if you watch the pressers anytime. Oh, it's like the Tony greatest thing. Ar- he, he lights up, like get you someone that looks at you in life the way Tony Khan looks at like even a scrap of paper with Tony Storm jokes he's been handed to read. Like he, he goes from an eight to like a 12 in happiness when that oh, yeah. happens. He, you can just tell it, it is totally his thing. Like when I, when the first time I saw him react like that to a presser, I thought this is never going on because <laughs> yeah. he loves this. He loves oh, yeah. this. Now, I will say that I mostly liked her on commentary for Dynamite this week. I thought that it was not, you know, not perfect, far from it, but it was still pretty good. There were several lines there that popped me. At the same time, I don't think it really, you know, made me like, I got to see this Parazzo Storm match at the same time. It it was more like I, you know, if this shtick was going on on Dark back in the day, um, you know, the distant past 2023, um you know i think it could have actually led to a lot of fun and could have led to some really great uh uh clips you know getting passed around on social media but at the same time like it feels like an act that would be at a different level than where she is within the division and it's very frustrating it's it's a actually a very unique position uh where it's this kind of thing that doesn't work on one level and then on the other level when it does work it still almost is counterintuitive or, or really working against like what you want to accomplish with uh women you know a division champion yeah um, um and then the last thing i want to talk about on collision is i i just love that main event i thought that was a not just a well work match but like a perfectly booked match um with uh, mark briscoe coming back at the end as the nice counterpoint to you know the the checkoffs gun that they did earlier uh checkoffs power bomb off the ramp if you will 
you know, and all that good stuff. And then Daniel Garcia coming out with the, uh, you know, the Revolutionary War bandage, just missing the flute and the guy with the drum, drum as he came out. Um, I, I thought this was, I, I love this. I went four and three quarters on this. This is like in my match of the year conversation at this moment. Um, what do you think about it? Yeah, it it was it was great. Um, I I agree with everything you just said there. I we talk about things to add half stars or like the nostalgia, like the love of seeing like Brian Danielson against an aging legend. Um, uh, like for me, anytime a guy wrestles a match with a big old bandage around their head, that's like a half star extra. That I, oh yeah, I, that's my thing. Um, uh, and yeah, it's it, you know you know it's a good match when. When I'm watching it, I'm pissed off that not more people aren't going to see it. Like when it hurts, yeah. like man, this would be great for Daniel Garcia. Like it's sad that's happening that so few people are seeing such a great moment for him. But it's like that's the sign of the quality of this, where it's like painting me, where it's like you know the Eddie Kingston Willie Mac match was good, but I'm not like oh I can't. Oh yeah, it sucks that people aren't getting to see this. It's like man, I really wish for this guy more people would get to see this because this is really good for him. This is great. Yeah. Um, and Daniel Garcia came off like a future star on this. Uh, FTR got themselves like their first big win in a while, honestly. Um, and I don't know. It just felt like, you know, I'm going to steal the comparison Joe Lanza made, but just because he made it first, it felt like a great ending to like a, a classic 1992 WCW Saturday night match. Yeah, it was really good. And um you know, it's funny that like the biggest, sadly, like the biggest talking point that came out of the show was probably <laughs> the house of, you know, Dave Meltzer saying, you know, basically saying, you know, they had to change the stip because the house of black, you know, doesn't want to take pinfalls. And then two of them come out and say, yeah, that's complete bullshit. Yeah. And now we're evaluating like, and I have no idea what's true and what's not true there. But like, again, it, it again, it just feels like that's the way sometimes it goes for AEW lately, where it's like, you put up probably hey, one of the better collisions oh, yeah. you put on in months. And that's the biggest news that comes out of it. Yeah. Like, like you have this A plus like segment, like really it's going to be one of the best things that happens on TV all year. And uh, the whole conversation in closing it is, uh, you know, will Malachi, th does that work for Malachi Black Brother? <laughs> yeah. And it's just, it's just so AW and, and the, just that the atmosphere, is, you know, I mean, it's really been a thing since the company launched in 2019, but ever since like things got really weird with uh, the whole CM Punk round two situation and uh, MJF's uh, bro Chacho line really falling apart. Um, it, it's really kind of tragic comic because this, this is a company, you know, even for all the stuff last year that sucked and like the, pretty much the entirety of that MJF storyline was just a real mess. I feel like the, the whole title run essentially, especially after the Brian Danielson feud um, was severely flawed in some way, uh, even when he was doing good matches. Um, but it, it's a damn shame that, um, you know, even with that stuff on there, like you were still getting like the continental classic or just like really, you know, Kenny Omega, Hijo Del Vikingo is like maybe my all time favorite TV match. Um, you know, and just like all kinds of other stuff. And uh, it's just the conversation is just completely surrounded by the downsides of AW. And it's yeah. very funny. It, I always say like it, right now, there's a lot of stuff happening right now that will be like when I was growing up. You know, the Death Alley Driver guys on, on the, the classic wrestling review site, they were always huge into like, you know, check out this great WCWC show match that, you know, 
people don't remember or you you missed out on. I feel like there's so much stuff happening in this era, like stuff on even on Rampage, where it's like just neat little oh, yeah. things. Where it's, it's not like a classic thing, but it's like, oh, this is the kind of thing where removed from context in a few years, those are just like, man, this was a pretty cool thing that happened. You know, this was a neat little thing, you know? Yeah. And it, yeah, everything gets kind of tainted with just the vibe. You know, the vibes are bad. They, they are in, in some ways. They are they are bad. There, there are pockets of good vibes, but uh, there are a lot of bad ones. I think the vibes have improved some over the past couple months, but still the vibes are not great. Yeah. Um, But I do think that one way that they're turning, uh, you know, chicken shit into chicken salad, if you allow me my Appalachian phrase, is, uh, you know, kind of the way that the heel young bucks are... Uh, approaching or their their character is now which feels like a very meta acknowledgement of things that have happened in the past uh past couple years and a way to kind of twist that into you know this new character that is just inherently unlikable um that the two have and uh i i think it's really kind of a little you know just a, a touch of creative genius that i really enjoy it's funny though, because they're kind of going the opposite way of like they're they're leaning to a negative perception of a, of a backstage like a power player, but oh, it's yeah. like not the negative perception they had been getting in the last year. Like if they want to lean to their negative perception, it would just see like like they're almost seeing like the, the, the their character now is like that they care too much like they're micromanaging yeah. things and being very overbearing and kind of egotistical where like if they want to lean into like the negative perception of people were fully it should be like oh we don't really care like oh the bucks left early tonight oh yeah. um they're, they're not watching the roh matches and giving notes i mean that probably won't be a fun character like that sells but like oh they're preoccupied with like a hot burn they just laid down on social media you know <laughs> like 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 instead it's like no they're they're very attentive you know oh they're gonna oh, lay yeah. down some fines right like that's kind of like not the negative perception they have been getting recently yeah but it is a very creative way i think to uh just kind of take the overarching viewpoint which is that they have this uh you know this attitude backstage of uh you know not being well suited to being execs i guess and uh to kind of twist it into this really effective character because those two are just especially matt are just really naturals at being unlikable on camera um you know they, they do well enough when they're faces and you know especially when the time calls for it but like you know especially last year they got really directionless as uh, baby faces and this is the kind of thing that they need to do on a pretty regular basis to i think to stay uh relevant characters no like i i agree in this i mean i'm kind of undecided i'm still waiting to see how this this character plays out i'm kind of not 100 percent sure where i am on it yet but like i will say like agreeing with your larger point i feel like the young bucks are always at their best when they are like actively like leaning into the exact things their critics hate about them like that's what they kind of made their name on on the indies was the idea yeah, of, exactly. oh you think we throw too many super kicks well now we're gonna throw like 300 more super kicks like we're gonna yeah. make it our whole thing like like that's always been the secret ingredient to their recipe has been just rubbing our finger in whatever wound people that don't like us have. Like oh, yeah. we're not going to avoid it or tiptoe around or try and placate you. We're going to go the opposite. way. The I'm not touching you of uh, booking philosophies. Yeah. Uh, but overall, I thought this was a really heavily mediocre uh, dynamite. Um, you know, I thought the highlights were basically, uh, 
Hangman Page against Toa Leona, which was a nice little mean guy match. Um, and the main event where Rob Van Dam, uh, you know, did very well. I think that's actually the best he's looked of any of his AEW appearances so far. And, um, you know, I think there's plenty of, you know, things to ask here. Like, you know, should Swerve Strickland really at this point in time be going 50-50? And honestly, it felt like more towards Rob Van Dam than just 50-50. But should he be splitting this match with this veteran? And, you know, you can ask that kind of stuff. I think that's not unfair. But all the same, like, I thought this match worked really well. I thought it was... um I think it's still kind of accomplished, like, you know, Swerve Strickland was kind of caught off guard by not just the opponent, although the hints they gave are the most obvious things ever. Wrestling is really bad at, like, teasing things. You know, they, they either yeah. give, they either give, like, clues that are just completely inscrutable, or else they'll give you a clue that's like, hmm, his name rhymes with Bob Van Dam. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you can figure it out a hoe. And it's just, you know, it, it's just very funny how how it works. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, I thought this match was about as good as you're going to get Rob Van Dam in 2024. I thought he had a nice showing. I thought, you know, I think Swerve is a fantastic performer. You, you know, at his apex right now. And, um, you know, they had a little addition of Samoa Joe on commentary and then the nice little post-match uh, angle. Um, this page Swerve Strickland feud is, you know, one of the best in AW history, I think. And, um, but on the downside, like there was a lot on this show that just kind of was, you know, not outright bad. Uh, you know, even Wardlow Commander, which was just a long squash was like, that was like a two-star match, you know, like a, a competent match that I didn't hate or anything, but, you know, like Jericho and Fletcher, I think way under delivered from what you would expect those two to do to, together. It just felt very uh, off kilter a lot. And, um, you know, like you had a very directionless uh, bang, bang, scissor gang segment, which was basically like, hey, we exist. <laughs> Hi. Yeah. And then they left. And, you know, it's just kind of a, a show of a lot of that level of stuff. Like, yeah, that was fine. But you know, when 70% of the show is like, this is fine stuff, you know, given what Dynamite normally delivers, it's a disappointment. Yeah, it didn't feel like a lot of, like, the chess pieces moved in interesting ways. Like, I mean, it, you know, it is technically continuing the uh, Hangman Swerve feud by having them each pick each other's opponents. But that's also a gimmick that I always usually dislike because unless you pick like the absolute best wrestler, it's always like, you know what, if I can pick anyone to really give you a challenge and we can, you uh, swerve, it's going to be a 53 year old Rob Van Dam. Like, <laughs> yeah. I know, what, right? what, you know, I got one half of the gates of that. And I know what the gates of that, they tried to say, you know, oh, he hasn't lost in this respect, blah, blah, blah. But like, still it's like, I think most fans are, it puts you to your wrestlers in a position. like, are you fucking stupid? You know, pick one of the, like yeah. the top stars here to take on. I, I I will somewhat defend the Toa Leona pick because one, he is presented like even as like a guy in a six man tag, he's always like the guy on that tag. And he is generally booked like just this crazed monster that, you know, it's basically like Ming in the 90s for WCW. Yeah. Like, you know, he may not be like a world champion, but at any time someone's like, hey, you're going to face Ming, it's kind of like, oh shit, <laughs> you know. And I think that's kind of where Toa Leona slots in these days. But yeah, like other than just like, hey, it's Rob Van Dam, isn't that fun? Um, you know, like if Adam Page theoretically has anyone that's kind of like on the babyface side of things or whatever, like why would he not pick Brian Danielson or, you know, like any anyone along those lines and instead go with uh, like his first, you know, pick is like, yeah, Rob Van Dam's going to whoop this guy's ass. 
<laughs> but that's why I, I feel like my opinion on this show was very middling. But at, I feel like it's a show that's helped when they announced such a big card for next week where it's like if they just announced nothing at the show, I'd be like, man, they're kind of in a funk right now. on Dynamite. Oh, Yeah, for sure. But, but the fact that's like, OK, we we did we we gave you a middle of the road thing, but like it's all coming next week. You know, then you feel in a way you feel almost a little bit better because you're like, OK, maybe you're 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 easing up a little bit to really go crazy next week. But if they had just said, you know, next week, um, Hook will be here. I yeah. would have been even more <laughs> down on this show and like, OK, this is this, this was not a good week. But in action next week, Konosuke Takeshita against a local <laughs> competitor. <laughs> Powerhouse Hobbs will be in action. Yes. Um, but yeah, Chris Jericho, you know, obviously there's always the big elephant in the room with him. But yeah, it's funny. Like, it's always fascinating because Chris Jericho is a guy, if we're just talking about his in ring, where I think in like his AEW tenure, there's been like three or four times where I'm like, okay, he's done. And then he kind of comes back. I'm like, okay. Yeah. And like, you know, watching that match, there was, it wasn't the worst he ever looked, but there were times where, I, you know, he was look. He was clearly trying hard, and then I was watching, him going, "Boy, like the shrimp on the Jericho cruise really are going to, aren't, aren't they? Like, <laughs> you know, you're 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 feeling multiple kinds of hangovers here." And uh, every, you know, he's at the age where every time you see one of those performances, that could be the start of something that never gets better. You know, exactly. we've seen him pull out of that. Yeah, but there, one, there's going to be one of these times where he starts that decline. And he can't hit that higher gear ever again. Yeah. And it, it's coming. You know, one day it will become, it will arrive eventually. Yeah. And I don't know that this is like the, the end of his prime, like not even prime. I shouldn't say that, but like his ability to have good matches. Uh, but I, I will say that at his age, it is a very brave call after you've done what is obviously like a week long cruise where you were not focusing on like your exercise routine. Right. Yeah. And to immediately be like, well, as soon as I get back, I'm going to be on dynamite and wrestle someone. Like, I think that's a very gutsy call. Is it a smart call? No, those two things aren't really the same, but it is on some level, a brave call. Um, and then right again next week to cash it. So, like, yeah. you know, that's going to have expectations all on its own too you know you're not gonna be able to half-ass it there yeah i i think he's gonna you know have a little more time to get his road work in if you will but uh you know it, it does seem like the um and i think maybe this is an accidental positive to jericho here uh you know obviously if he did something wrong and i've said this multiple times on our show here um you know and by our show i mean you and you and me trevor yes um, yes uh, but i've said this multiple times on uh, the good bad the hungry where um obviously if if Jericho did anything, you know, appalling, any kind of sexual crime, uh, he should be thrown out on his ass, like, immediately, uh, if you know that. Uh, but the way it's been presented is Nick Halsman, like, doing really weird stuff on Twitter, and then Kylie, you know, like, people being like, look, Kylie Ray liked a tweet uh, that is could, is kind of vaguely about the situation. And you know, if if he did do something to Kylie Ray, you know, I hope every bad thing that possibly could happen to him does happen. Uh, but I think like we just don't have any information to me that is like concrete enough to you know be like, well, we got to end his career, you know. And it's just a really weird situation. But I do think I, I kind of wonder if one really weird side effect of the Vince story is that people are going to just not really think about this too much, you know, going forward. And um, 
you know, I, I do hope AEW does a, a serious investigation, you know, into if there is something like this, you know, that they and that they did do that when Kylie Ray left. Uh, and that they, you know, picked up the phone and were like, hey, Kylie, look, we, you know, we already talked, I know, but we got to do a little fact checking here, uh, see if there something, you know, happened here. Um, but, you know, I think there, there's definitely an onus on the company, especially when Tony Khan is sitting there and saying, this is the safest company to work for in the world. Yeah. You got to, you can't, you know, half ass this. And I really do hope that they did it. But, it does seem like that Jericho is able to wrestle now without the crowd turning on his very presence. So for whatever that's worth. Um, but yeah, this, this felt like a very old dynamite too, you know, between a, a, an old Jericho performance and Rob Van Dam and uh, Jeff Hardy, you know, it wasn't exactly um, here's the stars of the future. Yeah. And we're the, we're one of the two big matches next week we're building to is sting, you know, which, yeah. you know, you should be, this is his final run, but yeah, again, it's one of those things where in a hot company in front of big crowds, that's not a negative, but again, it, it, it starts adding to that TNA vibe when, yeah. Or late stage cold. WCW. Yeah. And you're leaning so much on name quote unquote names but yeah, I mean, next week is a big week for them. It's it's a it's a week where they can. Get, and honestly, it's one of those things where next week is big for them. But then the week after, I feel like it's just as big because if they do get momentum, it's about they not having another up. dynamite like this one. You yeah. know, you got to follow it up with another good one. Yeah, you can't. Uh, they have a Tony Khan has a heavy reliance on just uh, really being afraid of putting his top stars against each other and. I think, you know, like you don't want to just you know, do it on a random, you know, dynamite, just have like, you know, two two top guys like and without any build here, here's some Ojo against, you know, uh, Sting or something. Right. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, they've built the Swerve Adam Page thing really well. But at the same time, like you can't actively avoid booking it except for pay-per-views, you know. It's yeah. just you've got to do be a, he's got to be a little more aggressive, I think. And I think that's just been a consistent issue with him. And in a contract year, honestly, like even though I grew up where pay-per-views were the be-all end-all, in a contract year, the most important thing is the is the TV rating. Exactly. Pay-per-view buys. If you give up 20,000 pay-per-view buys because you cannibalize a really good match you could put on pay-per-view to, you know, pop a, a few big numbers on collision here and there or, or dynamite, like th- this is the year where that's really going to be worth it more than any year. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, they have to show out and, uh, you know, this isn't the time to be afraid to like ask, you know, insert any high level star here to do a job or two, you know, if necessary, if the story dictates it. Um, But yeah, I think that's basically my big thoughts coming off this dynamite is, uh, you know, I I do think they built a really good story there and with Paige and Swerve. And I thought that uh, Rob Van Dam had a surprisingly good performance. Um, This Jeff, you know, it feels like they're going to turn the Hardy's heel. And um, <sighs> I, I think that's just going to die in the vine two different ways. One, I don't think they're, you know, I don't think either of them is good enough to to be able to do that, to, to be like a featured performer in AEW in 2024. Uh, I think they're both just too, they both look just very physically shot, for lack of a better way of yeah. putting it. Like they, they, they seem to have a hard time moving. <laughs> um, and, and secondly, like, you know, I was kind of thinking about this as Jeff Hardy made his appearance, like, or his entrance, I should say, you know, he's doing this kind of sulking character and Matt Hardy's, you know, yelling at him at the top of the ramp to like try to hype him up and it's kind of a heel way slightly. Um, 
when they showed the crown and everything, like it was just like, hey, it's a Hardy. We love the Hardys <laughs> reaction. Yeah, yeah. And it's not like based on anything new, and it's not based on um, you know, anything that they've done to like build that momentum. It's a hundred percent a nostalgia pop. And um, I I really think that I don't think there's any sign that you're going to be able to pull off like an effective heel turn with these guys. I don't think they've been pushed for long enough in AEW. Like they really haven't done anything at all since uh, Jeff had his uh, his suspension and his arrest and everything. Um, they just kind of been background players. And uh, I just don't think that you've got the cachet with them to have a meaningful heel turn. And I think it's just going to flop. But I'm also afraid that they're going to do it because they feel like they have to use the Hardys because they're the Hardys. And I, I think you put it best earlier in the show when you said, you know, that the Hardys in this case could be like subtraction by addition, where I, I feel like even if, and we also kind of going back to what we said about Wardlow, like, you know, if you rehab them, is it worth making the effort to rehab all that res use all those resources? It's like, even if you could get the Hardys over, is having an a relatively over heel Hardys or even babyface Hardys at their age and their physical condition, like how much are you going to get out of that? You yeah. know, I, I feel like, again, that's you're using a precious TV time and attention, you know, that you could be using on someone you could invest in for a decade to come that you're not going to have to worry about falling apart. Someone that were like, I'll, I'll say this, the Hardys one of the great tag teams of their generation they had great careers i i think they're both very talented guys but they even when they have middle of the road performances these days it hurts to watch them yeah because they both are in the condition especially with jeff hardy's history of problems it's like i get bummed out watching them like i i worry for them it's even when they kind of have a decent match like you said their movement is just so difficult there was that thing earlier in the year where jeff botched stuff and they were trying and then they tried to leak to the newsletter like no he meant to do all those botches like uh, the sad strategy yeah like it's just uh, there, there are so many veterans aw has had such a good history of veterans that like wow i can't believe they're getting this much out of them and it's kind of fun to watch them like it's a feel-good thing yeah. the hearts are like the feel-bad veterans where it's like yeah. uh, I worry for you guys. It looks like you're really struggling out there. You are unhappy with how this is going. It's just a huge bummer all around. And, and yeah, going to what you said, like, even if you can kind of do a heel thing with Jeff Hardy, I don't think it's going to be like, boo, Jeff Hardy. It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be, oh, this is a bummer. You know? Yeah, like, like I think it's going to lead to lead to pretty dead crowds if you try to do it. And, and the frustrating thing is they were in a position where I feel like they could have actually elevated Isaiah Cassidy. Uh, because, you know, the couple of times that they did the six-man tags with him doing the heavy lifting for the Hardys, like, I think he really showed out. Uh, I think he had some very good performances and uh, looked like, you know, like, oh, this is what they saw in Private Party back in 2019 when they tried to strap the rocket to him. And, you know, Mark Quinn came back and, like, I don't think he's fully back yet. You know, he's kind of working through some rust and maybe a little cardio, but... You know, I, I would much rather be like, okay, we're going to try to make Private Party a thing than the Hardys a thing this year. Yeah, again, it's just the, the most valuable commodity AEW has that they do not have enough to go around is time. Yes. And so when you look at it, it's almost like usually a lot of times with wrestling, we, we look at things and we go, oh, is this wor is worthy trying to push this guy in the sense of just – well, what are the odds that they get over or not? And to me, with AEW, I'll add this extra thing, which is could even if it does get them kind of over, 
could this time be used on someone else? You know, that would be a better yeah. use. You know, who are you investing? Because you can't invest in everyone on this roster. It's too big. Yeah. And and it's just one of the matter where so like when I look at something like the Hardys or Wardlow, it's it's almost like not could this work, but even if it did work, you know, is is that the best use of all this time and effort you're gonna have to spend? Yeah. And would that time be better spent on, like you mentioned earlier, someone younger and who will likely be around in five years if they sign them? Uh, yeah. Like, you know, I would rather they be giving uh, Ricky Starks this big, you know, this amount of time or um, Daniel Garcia, like these guys who I think could easily be foundational blocks of this company and instead are... I mean, like, obviously Starks is a champion. And they've done a really good job with the Daniel Garcia storyline and Collision, I think. I think they've done wonders with him. Uh, but, like, Ricky Starks, like, he's got a belt, but, like, it feels like, you know, he's a secondary character at this point, And he's so charismatic and a damn good wrestler. It just doesn't make any sense to me sometimes. And honestly, though, I will say I, I like Ricky Starks a lot. Uh I actually think Big Bill's almost sometimes outshining him on promo. Oh, yeah. Like, this it, is a Big Bill show. Yeah, he he's a revelation, and he has this. Weird, I was thinking the other day. I don't know if this is a thing or not, or if I'm just inventing this in my head. But he has like this extra kind of juice that I think comes from when someone like loses something and then gets it back. Like 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 there's this like when you watch him, there's this extra kind of pop to him where it's almost like my career went really bad, my life went really bad, and now I'm kind of back. Yeah, and I feel like like he, in a way he's almost got like an extra confidence that I feel like if that stuff didn't happen might not be there. It's almost like yeah, I know. think so. I think that's good analysis. And, and frankly, uh, the comp I I have in my head whenever I think about him is it, it's Chris Masters with a good push when he came back to WWE. Um, yeah, after his first release, uh, you know he he wasn't good. He was over pushed, and then they were like, "Oh, you're not good, bye." And then they brought him back, and um, it, it seemed like it took the fans a while, and management never did figure out that he actually was good then. <laughs> and um, Big Bill is like a better version of that with somewhat better recognition. Like he's in AW now, and it's like it, this guy's a, a legit worker. Yeah, and it's just. It's interesting that they don't really have like it. I actually like that act, and it works. But really, like the act is like is really just work. Like it, 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 it is a um a testament to sometimes wrestling. You don't always need to overthink things because really, what works about them is literally just we're two charismatic guys randomly thrown together. We're not really like we're not feuding, but we're not like friends outside yeah. this. We're just like two random charismatic guys. They're gonna talk charismatically, and we're getting business done. Together. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and it and it and it works. I, I know, like I, when they lapshaded that in a couple promos. I think during the Jericho uh, Guevara feud, where or well Jericho Omega, um, where they were going to take on those Winnipeg Jets, and um, and uh, at some point Starks is in the ring with Bill and is like, Bill, I don't know your birthday. <laughs> Bill's <laughs> like, Yeah, and Starks is like, I don't really care. Yeah, they did that one. The presses too, like they're really emphasizing that, just like you know, hey, like. <laughs> we don't know each other like we you know we're probably not gonna be like the best like we don't hate each other but it's just like you know we're two co-workers that yeah work well together yeah and it's a shame because like especially when early on AEW actually was a tag or a tag team uh, company to some extent like now it's like a real dire division and you have this good act and it feels like one, you just are going to let it go by the wayside because you've taken like this very WWE view of tag teams as by nature a secondary act if it's not the Young Bucks um, or Sting and Darby. And, and secondly, like, you know, it, it's just 
really you you have you got you have found money is essentially what it is yeah you found like a 20 in your in jacket and instead of like hey i got 20 extra bucks i didn't expect i guess i'll do something with this there it's practically like you're crumpling it up and throwing it away like this must be a fake or something you know and it, it is the most ricky starks thing ever where like this thing gets randomly thrown together. It kind of finds like you get something extra of it that you didn't expect. And then they were supposed to lose the tag titles to Omega and Jericho. And that only gets changed because Omega's stomach explodes. And now, <laughs> n- now it's like they're, you know, whether they retain or not next week, it really like Ricky. It's was almost beside the kind of, point. Yeah. Ricky was kind of making, making the point in the promo on dynamite where it's like, you know, it's a yet another time where, you know, they're in the background of someone else's story, you know, like that, the idea of, Oh, sting and, and um, Darby, you're just looking past this and taking it as like a, a, a assumption that you're going to win and take these to revolution, all that stuff. Where again, it's like, you know, Ricky is once again, kind of like, yeah, the, just the side stop on someone else's story. It's not his story. It's someone else's. Yeah. And, and going back to the, you can only reheat someone so many times. Like I think Starks is really resilient to that. I think cause he's just so damn charismatic and so damn talented, but it's, you know, you got to stop playing around with this guy. Like he's, he's a tremendous talent and, you know, I, I can't believe that they're not like pushing him to the moon right now, that they're not treating him as like one of those top future guys and doing everything they can to feature him in as positive a light as possible. Yeah, I, I can say I talked with someone AEW once who was, like, worried that, like, they were going to drop the ball with Ricky at one point when he got hot. Yeah. And then I think they've dropped the ball with him, like, two or three more times. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, they paused it, and they were like, oh, this is, this is the big time for him. And then there, <laughs> it's there like was three the, resets. Yeah, there was the time that he was the babyface against MJF, and then, like, there was a little cool-off period, and then he was the babyface against Jericho and really got over there, and then he just, like, disappeared. And this is, like, I, I appreciate Tony Khan, like, the, the cycling people out thing makes sense to an extent, but, like, it's got to be the right time. And if a guy is, like, actively hot, like Starks has been a couple times, he's the last guy you should be cycling out. He's the, the guy you should be shoving down people's throats. <laughs> To be yeah. like, look, this is a future star. He is on the come up, you know, and it's even worse than like when Hangman Page disappears for what seems like six months at a time. Like Hangman Page is a main event draw. Like he's an actual drawing yeah. card you have. And sometimes it's just like, well, uh, go hang out in Virginia for a while, buddy. And yeah, you know, it's it's worse than Starks because uh, or I'm sorry, Starks is worse. I, I, I meant to say, because at least when Page comes back, he's Adam Page. You know, everyone's going to pop for him and he's still going to move the needle. Uh, Ricky Starks, like, you know, he's not at that level yet. And it's, it's a dangerous game because despite all his talent, like, you know, you never know when, you know, the crowd might just get tired of him. You could, you could have that Tyler Black and Ring of Honor thing. Yeah, I, I appreciate the Ring of Honor reference. Thank you for indulging me. But no, <laughs> I, I, I think that's a great point, too, which is we talk about the stop start thing. But once you get to a top tier level, that problem goes away. In, in fact, sure. sometimes then absence makes the heart grow fonder. You, but you have to kind of make it to the top and prove to fans that you're going to be, that you're a top guy yeah. before you can do that. Like if you're a Roman Reigns or it's weird to bring up his name this week, but a Brock Lesnar or someone like that, you know, you, you can leave for a month or two or, and, and come back and people will not be like, oh, it's stop start. They'll be like, oh, it's a cool, rare treat. But if you don't get to that top level first and really establish yourself there, then it has the opposite effect. Yes, and I think we definitely saw that with Wardlow as well. Yeah. Um, but I think that's mainly my main thoughts from Dynamite this week. Uh, do you have anything to add? 
No, I think I, I, I think that's good. Um, yeah, I think that covers a lot of it. Cool. All right. Well, I think that's pretty much the week that was in AEW. Um, kind of a quiet news week, really. Um, I think we're in this very awkward position where we're kind of waiting on Mercedes Monet and possibly Okada to come in and make their debuts, and uh, that'll be huge news stories. And this is probably a week where uh, it's good to stay out of the news because uh, if AEW was in the news, that probably meant some connection to this Vince McMahon awfulness, and obviously that uh, no one wants that. So yeah. Um, well, uh, Trevor, thank you for joining us this week. I really do appreciate it. Uh, and I know obviously you'll be back next week when we, yeah, the regular, obviously, like it's the, uh, the regular co hosts of the show, uh, get back together. Uh, but please plug your stuff. Yeah. Um, I have a podcast with uh, my friend Matt Feuerstein covering Ring of Honor history called Through the Years. It's spelled T H R O H for through if you want to look it up. And, uh, we've been doing this for uh, feels like 18 years, but it's probably over <laughs> half a decade. But no, it's like the best thing I do. We've covered everything from the first show all the way through. Uh, we're we're getting trucking through 2006, so we've been. I'm really proud of it. Selling got a lot of good feedback. Um, my Twitter is at Trevor Dame, and if you uh, look at my profile, I have a little link tree that has links to everything else, so Patreon and all that stuff, so I don't have to belabor anything else. And yeah, I, 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 by the way, I don't just host the show. I live with you now. Um, I don't know if you know that. I, I, I live with you. Um, I don't have to take the bed every night. I do want some nights. But yeah, I, I'm really glad that we could work this out today. Uh, you know, it's a good good arrangement. Just uh, look, just don't sleep on my feet. That's all I ask. Um, <laughs> but yes, thank you again for joining us. Uh, this is the good, the bad, the bad and the hungry uh, once again. And um a couple of things I want to go over real quick before we leave. Uh, first of all, you can email us hungypod at gmail.com, H-U-N-G-E-E-P-O-D at gmail.com. We're on Twitter, which I have not actively logged into on this account for a couple of weeks now, but at GoodBadHungy. We also have a channel on the Voices of Wrestling Discord server. Uh, please subscribe, rate, and review so that our uh, masters at the uh, algorithm will love and appreciate us. And... Um, our theme song this week, because Tyler couldn't stop me, was Tom Lehrer's Poisoning Pigeons in the Park. Uh, thank you all for listening, and I hope you have a great week. Thanks, Trevor. Thank you. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hey, kids, do you like wrestling? Well, we like wrestling, too. We are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Myself and Chris Novembrino kind of doing a lazy river of wrestling criticism, going through the news and whatever happened in stateside television wrestling. And also, you know what? Sometimes we just like to watch old stuff and talk about that, too. Love for you to give us a listen. If you haven't already, we are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network.